Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. All right, we are smack dab in the middle of earnings, particularly tech earnings. Had some monster names last night, Apple, Google, Microsoft. Today, we've got Facebook after the close. And some really strong numbers. Um, let's check in with Mandeep Singh. He possibly is the most overeducated tech analyst on Wall Street. <laughs> He's a tech analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence. Um, Mandeep, the story last night, I looked at the Google numbers, and this is a alphabet-free studio here. We're, we're all about Google. I don't yes. care how much they paid for the consultants that come up with the alphabet name. Um, Google, just monster numbers on the top line, digital advertising. I guess that kind of follows up with what we saw from Snap and Twitter, but that's the story, it seems like, right? Digital advertising is just on fire. It did, and I think the real standout for me was YouTube. Okay. So if you look at the YouTube print, 83% growth. I get it, the comps were easier, <laughs> but the magnitude of the beat w really stood out, and I think what it goes to show if you compare YouTube to Netflix and Spotify, yep. Uh, Netflix and Spotify both had a deceleration in subscriber growth. YouTube ad growth is growing and it's growing in proportion to the time spent on their platform. So because people are spending more time on YouTube, it's translating into more ad dollars. Mm. And then there's a pricing tailwind now, because every small business is advertising on uh, YouTube right so now. So why are, I've noticed that I spend a heck of a lot more time on YouTube. And for me, the reason is that They've just got the algorithm right. When I'm watching a video, I'll go there, how to change a clutch on a 1972 BMW yeah, R9. Yeah, don't we all go there? And then, but then they pop up SNL videos on my, you know, having nothing to do with changing a clutch, <laughs> but that I want to see. So I start clicking through them, you know, so they know what I want, even when I'm not searching for it. Well, so that's where uh, the AI element comes into play. They keep emphasizing how critical AI is to search, YouTube, and it really, I mean, there is nobody out there who can compete with YouTube just in terms of, you know, bringing all the content together that you want to watch. And I think that's what's translating into ad dollars. We did some numbers. So if you look at, you know, Netflix, ARPU, that's like a $10. Average revenue, average per, revenue user. per user. Yeah. It's like a, at best $17 per user. Guess what, in case of YouTube or Facebook for that matter, that ARPU, in case of Facebook, it's around $200 in North America. In case of YouTube, it's close to $50. And that just goes to show that ad model is much better when it comes to monetizing the user base. Subscription kind of puts a ceiling okay. in terms of how well you can monetize, but not in case of ads. It's Facebook has a $200 ARPU? Yes, in North America. And you're gonna see it in the results tonight. Yep. That's, yeah. All right, so just finishing up on YouTube, I'm putting my investment banker hat on. I'm making a phone call out to the folks there and saying, let's spin this thing out. You're going to get a monster multiple on this thing. Is there any scenario where they spin out YouTube? I mean, if the regulatory landscape, uh, you know, gets uh, the better of them okay. in terms of splitting the so company. So other than yeah. that, they're not, they're not, there's not much talk about that. But boy, I, I would argue if they spin it out, it will be a market cap that's equal to the market cap of Spotify and Netflix combined. Wow. At least. See? That's it's, how I think, Matt. You got to yeah. create value. You got to got to generate those fees. I well, that's why you were the banker. You know, <laughs> I just think about what videos I want to watch on YouTube <laughs> right. now. 
and you know why others are you know how others are losing ground for example why isn't netflix stepping up to meet the challenge why isn't you know hulu or what do you watch you watch the disney plus thing right you yeah watch the no. mandalorian I just watch sports. <laughs> yeah, there's not a great sports. You know, in no. Europe, we have DAZN, D-A-Z-N. Uh, I don't know what you have here, but that covers all European ESPN sports. ESPN Plus is kind of getting there. So so in terms of uh, tech earnings, well, in terms of all earnings, Mandeep, we were talking earlier on the program, 88.5% of companies that have reported so far have beaten the streets estimates. And if you look at, what was the chart I was pulling up earlier? I'll find it in one second, but... It's it's unbelievable how more every year more and more um, companies beat the street's estimates. So it looks like the street just isn't doing a very good job estimating earnings. And it's not like they're getting it wrong on both sides, right? It's asymmetric. They're always forecasting too little revenue and too little earnings. Why do you think that is? I mean, the secular trends that we are seeing out there, you know, cloud, online advertising, online. Are you streaming. logged in? Are you logged in over there? No, he's not. Okay, I just want to say the chart is forty-five eighty-eight. I keep telling people because for <laughs> listeners that have a terminal in front of them, to me this is shocking. It goes back to the nineties. G hashtag BTV forty-five eighty-eight. Back then, only fifty percent of companies were beating. In the two thousand aughts, seventy percent were beating. In the last ten years, you know it's climbed higher and higher. Now almost ninety percent. Everyone's beating. Why can't analysts get it right? Well, no like offense. I said, these trends are very powerful. Yeah. You know, the online advertising trend, cloud, online streaming. No one really expected the change to happen this quickly. E-commerce, everyone talks about how we have pulled forward five years worth of e-commerce penetration in one year because of the pandemic. So that is the reason why analysts All right, haven't so caught up. Facebook, after the close tonight. Are we going to be blown away? What, 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 are you, what are we looking for? Yes, I, I think the nature of the beat will be somewhat different. This will be more of an ad pricing uh, beat as opposed to uh, YouTube, which was really ad impressions because of the time spent okay. was way more than what people expected. So in this, in Facebook's case, it's going to be driven by ad pricing because advertisers see value in advertising on Facebook. Is there anything sweet happening on the peripherals? When you look at Google, at the moonshots, any of those doing well? Or when you look at Facebook, like Libra, is that going to start to take off? So Facebook has pivoted to their own payments now. They launched Facebook Pay, not no connection to Libra. And uh, that's where you're going to see that transition that it will be e-commerce within the app. And that's where the payments will come into play. Is it play. still blockchain based or is it? No, no. It's just any other uh, payments like so a Venmo boring. or, uh, uh, you know, behind the scenes, they're using PayPal. But it's very similar in concept to Venmo. What's I'm their, disappointed by what's that. What's their chat thing again? What's their chat service? WhatsApp, dude. WhatsApp. Everybody in the world I know outside that, I of know America that. uses WhatsApp. <laughs> I know like, that. I know only that my America kids use and it. Russia don't use WhatsApp. Are we going to monetize WhatsApp yet? Yes, they are looking to make it more enterprise oriented. There are businesses that are exclusively using WhatsApp to communicate with their customers. So, but I, I think the monetization will still be slow if you compare the other businesses for end-to-end uh, -end encryption. Instagram, yeah. Instagram will be another blowout for, uh, when it comes to Facebook. The I wish they the gram, the IG, Insta. What do you call it? I use Insta. Okay, uh, Insta. You know a lot, but I, WhatsApp is like. 
the way I communicate with everybody. And the interesting thing is, although it's end-to-end -end encryption, if I start WhatsApping you about Hermes ties, I'm yep. going to start getting ads in my feed for Hermes ties. <laughs> That's the way they do it. All right, Mandeep Singh, a senior tech analyst uh, for Bloomberg Intelligence, giving us his thoughts on all these tech stuff. Again, Facebook after the close expected to be another blowout quarter. Let's get over to uh, Jeffrey Cleveland right now, chief economist at Payton and Regal, talking to us about what to expect from the Fed today. Jeff, we've had a lot of guests say um, probably not a, a, a big change in policy, but will Jay Powell have to justify continuing to um, spend $120 billion a month in his asset purchase program? Yeah, no change in policy, but yeah, I think he, he's going to get grilled by the uh, assembled masses there on some, some important questions. I, you know, for me, probably the most important question is this whole substantial further progress and, and have we made substantial further progress? The classic, these, I love these phrases. It, it keeps me employed, the uh, Fed watchers. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, if you look, we like to look at employment to population, 25 to 54 year olds. Uh, we on that ratio or that percentage, we were 76.3 back in December when the, the Fed started saying they wanted to see substantial further progress. It's now climbed, I guess, crawled back to 77.2. Um, for comparison, they, that that percentage was 80.5 before COVID. So I don't know if that count. In my mind, that doesn't count as substantial further progress. But I'm curious what Chair Powell has to say. So that would be the. I guess if I was the reporter, uh, that's the first thing I would ask to get an update on that. And then we'll forward that I, question to Michael McKee. Yeah, please do. And then I, I suppose after that, I want I would want to see what the different disagreements are. You know, kind of kind of tease that out. What are what are? And I think maybe one for me would be you know why continuing to buy the mortgage-backed securities, uh, given how far we are into the recovery, and the fact that the housing market is. I mean. It's on fire, for, for lack of a better term. So I don't know if that is necessary at this point. So I guess that would be, if you put me in charge, I, I might uh, cut back or curtail those purchases before I curtail the Treasury purchases. So questions around that I think would be interesting to bring up uh, at the press conference. So, Jeffrey, it, it, when tapering begins, what's it going to look like? How, is there going to be a big signaling event? Or is, 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 that what I'm, is that why I'm going to go out to Jackson Hole, if in fact I do go out to Jackson Hole in August? I think, you know, tapering was so interested last, interesting last cycle because it had such a huge impact on the fixed income markets. But bond traders jumped to the conclusion that if the Fed was tapering, that they were going to soon hike rates. That's why we saw such volatility in the spring and summer of 2013. Uh, this time around, I don't know, I, I feel like it should be far less interesting. The Fed has done a pretty good job of trying to disconnect the two decisions, the tapering decision from the rate hike decision. They're, they're two distinct things. So it shouldn't have, it shouldn't have the impact. Um, it shouldn't be the signal for, for overnight rates that it, it played last uh, cycle. So I don't know, maybe we're just looking for something to uh, talk about, and that's why we're talking so much about taper. It, it will be more of a non-event this time around. That's kind of my gut instinct here. Um, I, you know, I'm looking at real yields here, and uh, we're, we're seeing yesterday we saw it tick down to negative 115 basis points. And I, I want, I'm starting to wonder um, no longer why, but um, if this is just part of uh, the government strategy to, 
I don't know, monetize debt to somehow inflate its way out of the situation that we've got ourselves into. That's historically what we do, right? Yeah, I mean, I think what's happening here is that you you had a huge surge in inflation expectations uh, in the springtime, and that really peaked out in, in the March and April period, sort of like buy the rumor or sell the news kind of. We got some strong inflation readings, and now I think by and large the market has bought into this idea that uh, – the inflation we're seeing is going to be somewhat transitory, and you're seeing that work its way through the markets. So I think that's you know really what's going on. As far as the bigger plot behind the scenes, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess in general, it benefits the market to keep, uh, sorry, the government to keep rates low. Um, you know, the effective uh, interest on the, on the debt burden is is quite low. But I don't know if there's a grand uh, strategy <laughs> well, behind it. <laughs> you know what made me think of it, and this is weird. Um, I even I know this is weird. I've been reading a book. Um, called Cannibalism. Oh boy, <laughs> it's it, it's a great book. I highly recommend people pick it up. Um, it's totally has nothing to do with economics, but the the guy, the author, quotes um, Friedrich Hayek, who says, "I do not think it's an exaggeration to say history is largely a history of inflation. Usually, inflation's engineered by governments for the gain of governments." Now, clearly, this is a very Austrian thing to say, obviously. <laughs> But it just made me think, you know, um, we're, we keep asking why yields are so low, but maybe this is just a way to, um, you know, uh, get, get out of the debt that we've had to spend or had to borrow uh, uh, to fight COVID. Yeah, I think, you know, Hayek is correct. You know, history tells you the story of, of inflations and government's right. role in, in inflation and, and in wartime, the, the role of central banks. So I think that's, that's important historically. I think right now, though, right. why are rates low? We have a huge amount of demand for fixed income securities yep. relative to supply. Part of the reason for that is that the Fed has taken a big chunk of the supply off uh, off the table. That's why we're talking about tapering. Right. They've, they've been purchasing 120 billion a month, so they've taken on a big right. amount of supply. If they were to taper, you know, that would put more yep. securities back in the market. But I, I I still think the overwhelming story here is not so much a central bank or government conspiracy. It's just this. Mundane supply and demand supply and for demand. assets. <laughs> All right, Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining us. Jeffrey Cleveland, Chief Economist for Payton and Regal. Well, we got a big IPO coming up, particularly for retail investors that, or Reddit investors or meme investors that have been just really uh, having an outsized impact on markets over uh, the past several quarters. Uh, I'm talking about Robinhood. Annie Massa, she's an investing reporter for Bloomberg News. She joins us here. Annie, we got this Robinhood IPO. I think it's pricing tomorrow. What's the latest here on this IPO? That's right. Its shares will begin trading tomorrow publicly. And one of the biggest things that we're watching and thinking about is that Robinhood says that this is one of the largest allocations to retail investors in an IPO ever. It's setting aside up to about 35% of its shares for investors on its own platform for Robinhood app users. And they get access to the pre-IPO shares, um, which is unusual in uh, an IPO process. So it's trying to show that it's opening up this uh, piece of the IPO process to regular investors. What kind of pops have we been seeing this year, Annie, and what's expected for tomorrow? You know, there have been moments in history when it was in vogue to have, you know, a doubling of the stock on the first day. And there have been times when um, companies have said that's leaving way too much money on the table. That is one of the definite kind of push and pull type uh, situations with an IPO. 
I mean, any company is usually looking for that nice, like, price pop above 30% or so in an IPO in most cases. But that question of whether you're leaving money on the table in the process is an important one. And Robinhood has the additional pressure of having such a large slice, relatively speaking, of this IPO being allocated to retail investors. So I, in an ideal world, you can see how they might want to see that big uh, pop in price so that they can show how they've created uh, value for those retailers. But 30%, but you're saying 30% is basically the sweet spot. That's where people think uh, you're not going too far, that you've lost a lot of um, uh, potential uh, capital, but you also have the, what do they, what do they call that? The hype, the hype that you, that you want for your IPO. The hype factor is definitely something you want. Listen, I'm not the, I, I, it's not to me to exactly decide where they would want to be, but they'd certainly want to see the price rise having allocated so much of this IPO to their own customers. Annie, there's, a, a, to me at least, a, a fair amount of regulatory risk to this company and to this deal. The whole payment for order flow was an issue um, that I think is going to get a lot of regulatory uh, scrutiny here. Um, just, you know, kind of meme stock trading in general, getting some SEC scrutiny. How's the market kind of thinking about some of the risks, the regulatory risks for this company in this IPO? In the wind-up to this IPO, there have definitely been multiple regulatory inquiries that have come to light, some of them still ongoing. Just this week, we found out about two new inquiries from regulators, one having to do with the fact that the chief executive officer and chief creative officer, the two co-founders of Robinhood, are not registered with FINRA. So FINRA has been asking some questions around that. And then separately, FINRA and the SEC have been asking about uh, employee trades ahead of that GameStop, uh, those, uh, that break on GameStop trading that Robinhood put into place in late January. So those are two new uh, lines of examination that we just found out about this week. Of course, that mm. adds to other fines, a $65 million fine from the SEC and a 70, almost $70 million fine from FINRA that we knew about and that have been settled already. So those issues are piling up for Robinhood, and uh, they'll certainly be something that investors will be looking at as the company becomes public. What, uh, just got 30 seconds here, what time can we reasonably expect Hood to start trading tomorrow? We'll have to watch for it tomorrow, but uh, it won't be right, you know, right at 9.30 necessarily. You'd have to wait a little bit later in the day for those shares to begin trading. That's what I figured. Yep. All right, Annie. It takes so long these days. It does. It's and like 11, 11.30. Um, it, we used to get them done 10, 10, 10.30. If, exactly. it was, if it was a hot deal, hard to kind of price, but if it was just a run of the mill, we'd get it open you know, within the first 30 minutes I was down on the so. floor at the NYSE for yep. Ferrari, and they got it done in about 30, 40 minutes. Yep. Yep. So anyway, but we'll see how, how hot this deal is. Any massive investing reporter for Bloomberg News uh, joining us on the phone will be paying attention to that Robin Hood IPO uh, tomorrow. Now, the Fed is coming shortly with the statement and the interview. We're all going to be paying very close attention here to help us uh, decide what to look for is A.J. Oden, investment strategist, BNY. Mellon Investor Solutions, or at least, AJ, uh, give us wh what you're looking for, what you're hoping to hear from Jay Powell and the Fed. Uh, thanks for having me here. I think um, what we're looking for is really the tone and some of the 
the language that they're using. Obviously, we, we don't expect interest rates to, you know, any, any conversation about interest rates changing, but it's really just about what their sentiment is around inflation. You know, do they still see it as transitory? And any sort of indication of any change from the 2023 um, expectations of, of interest rates moving. I think that's really what we're going to be looking for today. All right. So, AJ, let's assume it's kind of steady as she goes, lower for longer. Some people would say lower forever. Uh, again, I'm just, just picked a 10-year at 1.25%. How are you and your teams at BNY allocating capital? I'm thinking equity, fixed income, alternatives. How are you thinking about that in, in this market? Well, in this market, because interest rates are so low, we're really looking at um, equities and real assets and commodities is where the place to be, right? I mean, if, with interest rates, you know, near zero, and we don't see the Fed moving right now in the near future, it makes sense to be in those spaces to get a sort of a return on your investment. And ultimately, we like U.S. equities right now. I mean, we're seeing some dollar stability. Um, typically, when we were earlier in the part of the year, we were looking at more non-dollar um, developed markets as well as EM. But when we when you start to factor in things about, you know, factor in earnings, as well as the COVID-19 pandemic and looking at some of the variants and how vaccination rates and inoculations are impacting those markets. We really like U.S. equities right now. We have a overweight to the developed markets, Europe and, uh, and U.K., but really have a more of a, a tilt to U.S. markets over uh, the, those non-dollar U.S. equities. Do you expect that to change as vaccination rates pick up elsewhere? Um, you know, at some point, it, it, we could see a tilt to, to move back if there's any sort of indication that dollar is going to get a little bit weaker than we would like. We'd have a more of a preference likely to Europe and U.K. But, I mean, when we're seeing, uh, you know, in EM countries, I believe, uh, you know, their rates, their vaccination rates are so low. And, and the, a lot of the, I guess, the struggle that they're having with variants. And I, I guess if you not even look at the, the Delta variant, but also the potential for other variants to come to come up, um, and how they haven't moved to, to a reopen, I think that's really sort of the fear that we have, or, or not necessarily the fear, but our, our tilt away from those markets and looking more and, and a little bit more stability in the U.S. and those developed market countries. AJ, we had some big uh, tech uh, earnings last night, Microsoft, Apple, Google, all putting up some really, really uh, stellar numbers here, yet the stocks are you know, kind of muted here. H how do you think about some of those big tech names that have worked so well for so many investors really since the, the financial crisis versus, you know, some of the cyclical names, whether it's banks or energy uh, that have been kind of the rotation trade over the last year and a half or so. How, do, how are you guys positioned on the equity side? That's a great question. I think we're, because we're in more of a mid-cycle recovery, we're looking more at quality. I mean, if you look at Q1, value performed well. We saw much of a steepening of the yield curve uh, last quarter. It was growth that really performed well, but we're really looking at um, quality now, since we're more mid-cycle recovery, looking at to that full reopen. Um, with the tech sector in particular, you kind of wonder if there is some reverberation of what's going on in China and some of the uh, you know regulation that's coming down the pipe. You kind of think at some point maybe that's the sentiment that it's going to come this way. As you know, if you look at, there's been three major events. Mm -hmm. I, if I think about it, that have sort of indicated that there will be regulation down the pipe. If you look at you know the January 6th insurrection. You look at the meme stocks, as well as most recently in the last couple of weeks, we've had the conversation from the, um, the Surgeon General about the importance of misinformation, dis disinformation. You kind of wonder at some point, will there be regulation that these companies have to deal with? And not necessarily will tech take a back seat, but will there be a changing of the guard? Will we see leaders in certain areas that may, may have been 
a little bit stronger in privacy, will they rotate to be more in the forefront in the tech sector? And will you see a rotation in some of those larger names? I don't think tech's going anywhere. It's where the innovation and a lot of the growth exists, but we could see some headwinds or some rotation in those leaders in those spaces. I also wonder about, um, you know, the effect of China on global stocks. So far, you know, we've seen Chinese stocks get pummeled. And it, it, you can't see it in the S&P or in the MSCI World Index, but sometimes um, there is an effect and it takes a couple of weeks or even months for it to come through. We saw that, for example, in 2015. Are you concerned about that? You know, I wouldn't say there's a concern there. I, I think ultimately, you know, China is a lo- very large economy. Um, and, it, you know, those, those changes that they're making, although, you know, it, we're seeing the impacts of them in their markets, Ultimately, it's it, it it I think it bodes well for a, a strong a strong strong growth for them at some point down the line. Um, it's just it I think ultimately the market doesn't like uncertainty and it wasn't really foreseen in in some instances and so I think that's what we're seeing right now. I don't I don't see it as a, a pause for concern by any means. All right, AJ, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Really appreciate getting your thoughts and perspective. AJ Odin. He's an investment strategist for BNY Mellon Investor Solutions. Uh, again, in terms of asset allocation, AJ's thinking uh, kind of got to be in equities. And with the, the 10-year trading at 1.26%, that uh, that makes some sense to a lot of folks in the market. We're going to have more coming up for you. Kind of got a little bit of red and green on the screen. Uh, we've got the Fed coming up this afternoon. This is Bloomberg. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at PT Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.